Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Hey, friends, Dans, or Fran fans. Last week, I asked you to let me know what your ideas are for me to name you, my audience. And I've gotten amazing suggestions. Thanks to you. I'll read out some of the best ones and I'll let you vote on it. So we have Fran stands, Fran fans. We have Fran sisters. We have Frans or Franks, Fran sisters. Thank you all so much for your input. This really made me laugh and I hope it makes you laugh too. And I would like to start addressing you with one of these names. So let me know if you feel strongly one way or another. You know how to reach me. And I would also like to give a shout out to an awesome fan who just reached out to me for the first time through Instagram. So let me read it to you. It's 11.17 p.m. And even though I save podcasts for my two-hour daily commute to work, one hour each way, I'm actually considering listening to one now. In my bed, no dishes, no laundry, no driving. That's a win for you, girl. Thanks so much for such inspirational content, probing questions, and keeping it classy while still tackling the good, bad, and ugly of our community. Thank you so much for this message. I'm going to start reading them out because why not share it with you and encourage you to keep doing this? I really hope you enjoyed this episode I did with Betty Galco. Make sure to check her out on Instagram. And of course, Thank you so much for keep sending me clients and referrals for my podcasting business. I appreciate it so much. And this is how you support this show. So thank you. Welcome back to the Francisca show. Today, we have a super fun episode that I'm doing with someone I feel already so connected with, but in actuality, it's our first conversation. Our guest, Betty Galco. Yes, you nailed it. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Obviously, you're a doll and I'm like, yeah, we got to chat. There's so much to chat about. So what better way to just dive right in and do it for the first time on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So I know you have a super interesting backstory. You grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Your upbringing was not at all traditional. And you did not grow up Orthodox. So I'm super curious about your story. I know you are in major influencer space on Instagram today, and you are making such a big impact. And I love your style, your brand, and your presence. So clearly, you've done magical things with your story and with your life. So take us back to where it all started. I'm so curious about your life and how you became the person you are today. Wow. Well, first of all, that's really sweet. Thank you so much because you know what? I think that so often, right, we are so much involved in our own head, in our own space and what we're doing that we forget to stop and take a break and listen to all the things that we've accomplished and how far we've come. So I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, listen, it's been a long journey. And really something that I always love to say is that it was a journey, it is a journey, and it will always be a journey. As long as you're looking at that journey with a positive outlook and an idea for growth, you will be fine. It is all good. It'll be something to learn through every stage. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm 
I'm always like, oh my gosh, where do I begin? I mean, this story is one of many complications. I'll give you just a brief kind of like, you know, little pieces here and there so you could get a feeling from me. And what's really unique is honestly, I've been kind of in this social media space playing many roles for quite some time now. I'm not going to age myself, but it's been a while. And really only up until fairly recently have I been very vocal or at all vocal about my past and my history. And there's many reasons behind that. But, you know, I think that one is because I am at a place now where I have accepted and felt comfortable with the idea that my past is a part of me, but it has allowed me to grow and develop and be who I am. So Yeah, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. I am the oldest. I have two younger under me. So pretty much like actually like shockingly at the onset of birth, when I was born, I was taken away from my birth mother's care. And that was due to obvious signs and complications of mental illness and lack of abilities to take care of children. So right away I was in a home and I'm actually still to this day close with her. Her name is Gloria. She's this adorable, just sweetest her and her husband couple that just, they do this, they foster babies. And it was pretty much from that point on for the remainder of my life in and out of back to my birth mother's care and in various homes, whether it was a home in a community, whether it was a foster home or a group home, I was like a child of that system. And so are my siblings. So there was constant chaos. I mean, it was not pretty. It was not fun. It was not exciting. We did not have money. We were moving constantly. There was fighting and abusive things going on. So it was just a really challenging, to say the least, position to be in as a child and trying to, of course, grow up. So yeah, that was like just a little like snippet until really, you know, I came into the Jewish community in Memphis, still at a young age, but I was already in first grade. And my birth mother at that time had became friendly with a woman in the community. So that really brought her in. And because of that, they brought us into the community and we were going to the Jewish day school there. So at that point on, I was involved in the community. I was going to the Jewish day school. I was doing the activities or whatnot, but it was kind of like this like weird oxymoron of like living this life at home with like total chaos and confusion and really frustrating position to be in while I'm going to this beautiful school surrounded by all these incredible families that have these lovely homes and going on these trips. And I had to balance that all throughout my life. And it was really challenging to say the least. And of course, being the oldest, which is natural to kind of play a motherly role, but this was on like a real motherly level where I really was taking care of my siblings. So I kind of was an adult really like my whole life in that sense. So yeah, until pretty much high school, once I'm getting older and growing up and developing, I started to kind of explore myself. And then actually a piece that maybe you don't know, which I know you probably don't know a lot of these pieces, but I was living with a family. I was in like 11th grade. And then I graduated high school that itself was like yeah she did it you know school is not like my go-to thing to study for school right so I decided I wanted to go to Israel so I raised money I always worked I had a job I saved money what kind of jobs did you have girl like we're talking about real jobs like I was a waitress (laughs) I was a hostess of course I babysat I 
did whatever kind of things that I could find that I could do that didn't need any kind of qualifications, you know? And they came from within the Jewish community or you'd find whatever you can find? Both. It wasn't, you know, specific to either or, but yeah, you know, non-kosher restaurants. I was working kosher restaurants, you know, Memphis, is a, <laughs> it's a small town. So we have something that it doesn't last that long. So, okay. So you raised your own funds to go to Israel. Yeah. That was like my first time away, like fully away. Don't get me wrong. I'd been away, but like actually away. Like I was like, I'm on my own. I'm in Israel. Like, whoa, Israel in itself was a big wake up call to what's going on in the world and what's available. So that's when I started studying and learning more and diving into my spirituality. You know, like I was surrounded by Jewish life, but because of the dynamics personally, it was really challenging to kind of utilize or practice the things that I felt were important. It just wasn't the right environment. So when I was in Israel, I had that chance to say, okay, Betty, what's calling to you? What speaks to you? And some of those things were within the religion. And that was, you know, keeping kosher and dressing more modest, wearing dress code that was more clothed, you know, just learning about basics, really, and then starting from there. So that was like my first real like strong connection towards understanding who did I want to be in that space within my religion. Would you say when you lived at home and you were younger, religious people were more of an idealized functional family type of role model rather than a religious experience that you intellectually or emotionally wanted to engage with? That's a really great way of putting it. And it's fascinating because I think that, first of all, yes, to answer your question, but to take it in a deeper level is for me, it was kind of like, whoa, what are they, what are they doing? Like, I understand, I know Sabbath, I learned about it. You know, I went to synagogue growing up, but it wasn't like I had that feeling because for me, it was an escape. It was like, I want to just be at someone else's house. I want to just get away. I want to just go to synagogue to have fun, to be with friends, to chill, to not have stress or pressure. So I didn't have that like understanding at that time because I didn't want it. I wasn't looking for that. Like it was meaningful to me. And actually what's fascinating is I had so many friends who were totally not religious, like not at all from public schools or whatnot. And even though despite the situation, the dynamics, I always had it like in my heart. Like I was like, I wouldn't eat anything crazy. I wouldn't never go, you know, out of my way to do anything totally inappropriate. Like I always was like level-headed. I knew that religion was like special to me and I wanted to have it. I just didn't really know how and when the spark, I guess, would fully be there. Can you talk about your mother a little bit more, your birth mother first? What was her relationship with Judaism like? Was there anything? She's actually now passed away. She had passed away. I'm so sorry. Well, my daughter's nine. I, yeah, my daughter's nine. So she, I was pregnant with Adina and she had suddenly passed away and I hadn't been in touch with her for quite some time. So that's a unique part of the story in and of on itself. So to answer that question, to be completely raw about it is it's a bit challenging to answer these questions because I don't really remember like a lot and I don't really know exactly what was really calling to her because keep in mind, I was young 
And by the time I got older, I was like away and I started to realize I need to separate myself from this. It's not healthy for me. And then I got married and I started my family. And so, but really she was a spiritual being. She was a good person. And that's why I'm such an advocate to this day about mental illness and about being aware and education because she loved religion. She didn't come from a background at all, but she was, you know, appreciative of it. And But it wasn't a space of like, let's daven every day. Let's say the bracha. Let's, let's, you know, do this or do that. It wasn't like that at all. I think it was maybe more like traditional, like, because she knew, oh, it's, it's Sabbath. Let's like make Kiddush. But my father wasn't in the picture. So, you know, we would make the Kiddush and it was like a space like that. But meanwhile, we would go and like watch TV. So it was just a kind of a little bit lack of knowledge and understanding. But I think that she knew in her heart that it was like special What was it like having that on and off relationship with Judaism? Just because it it sounds like it was such an integral part of your life, but then one minute you're in Jewish day school with Jewish friends, the other minute you're public school or new home and they're not Shabbos or Jewish conscious. And how did you balance that? And did that mess with you a little bit or was it just your normal? And today I, I, act Jewish tomorrow. I'm not. And this is just how we roll. I know it's, it's really like fascinating because like, honestly, I don't know if I really like, if I'm I'm putting myself in that position at the time, it wasn't like, I'm like, this is so weird. Who am I? I didn't have like an identity crisis. It was just kind of like, this is the normal. Like I know I'm Jewish, but I don't really know I'm Jewish because I don't really know what being Jewish means. Like I don't feel it, but when I moved into the community, so then I'm like, okay, I'm more or less around all the Jewish people and doing Jewish things, whatever that means. Um, but it was, it was bizarre because people were coming into the home. People were always like around and it was kind of like a not Jewish like setup, if you would. I don't know how to explain that. Um, and yeah, I just think that I didn't really think about it that way. It was just like, these are friends and these are people that we're hanging out with and it's all good. And I think because I wasn't like hardcore keeping things that it didn't come out that way. Also for children, I think they're much more fluid. They say, if you move to a new country, you just, you know, plop them into school with a new language, they pick it up in a few weeks. What were your biggest life's rock bottoms or biggest places for growth where you really had to be proactive about changing course? Wow. Well, you know, I've been married for quite some time and we do have a daughter. So I think that all throughout life, you know, we have so many different stages and you really don't know and or realize, quote unquote, the issues or rock bottoms that you have only until you really start to develop and grow and dig deep and become very, very self-aware. Do you start to understand, okay, There's areas here that need to be cleaned up. There's subjects here that I'm not really still okay with. And how do I discover that? And usually that comes from a space of hitting rock bottom, as you said. So, you know, I've had a lot of those and I have them sometimes weekly. I wouldn't call it rock bottom, but, you know, I have them weekly. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm in over my head. But that's that's normal things. If I were to speak more of, um, you know, a bigger topic that we're sharing about. Yeah, I think that, you know, most certainly, definitely, thank God I got pregnant very easily with Adina. I didn't really do anything but just get pregnant. And 
when we got that phone call that our mother had passed away, that was like a rock bottom in the sense of like, it was a big shakeup. Um, like I mentioned before, I hadn't spoken to her in quite some time. And that was because I was now married and I was trying to focus on my growth and development. And it, I wasn't strong enough at that time yet to handle that relationship without breaking. So when she had passed, I was shooken up. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, and it didn't really hit me until many weeks later. And you have to keep in mind, no one really knows my story. No one really knew, especially then. So I went to Memphis and I said, Shiva, but then I came back to New York where I was living with my husband, Usher, and I was sitting the rest of the Shiva alone. Like I was by myself, like no one, no one knew, no one came. Like I don't, it was, you know, a really hard moment. Here I was nine months pregnant. So that took a lot of time to get through that, to be like, you know, I don't have closure. I never had a chance to really speak to her, to ask her, to talk to her, to say, what's going on? <laughs> what happened? You know, what do you think? Do you realize this? You know what I mean? Um, and so that's, that's one that I think, again, which is why I'm feeling so passionate about bringing up these subjects now because of the fact that I am in a much, much, much world of a different place than I was then to the point that I'm able to talk and share about it. And not because I'm like, woe is me, look at my story. No, no, no. It's more because I really, really, truly respect and value the idea behind being able to grow and develop and become confident in your best self throughout all your traumas, throughout all your bad things that happened to you. So this is why I shared to really showcase that, hey, you never knew this about me, but this is me. And surprise, guess what? You think it's a cute little picture over there, but yeah, there's pain and it's okay. I don't need to hide from it. You know, was there any one specific event that became traumatic that you had to, you know, heal from, or was it the mere fact that it was unstable and there's certain foundations that children need, for example, safety, trust, love. And if they don't have this consistently that they can rely on, then without any one specific bad or tragic or traumatic event, they need a lot of healing to do. So my question is, did you have anything major that happened that you were taken away from your birth mother or did she consciously on her own proactively give you up? and then request you back? What was that like? To answer the question specifically is there wasn't one major quote unquote traumatic event or circumstance or thing that happened. No, it was a lot of large events combined with a lot of small events that were all traumatic all within itself. And by the way, I have to make mention that of course, of course, there was wonderful, amazing things that happened. I was actually very blessed, all things considered. Um, I had a lot of amazing opportunities in some ways, perhaps maybe because of the situation was so challenging that families were trying to you know, help out as much as they could. Can you share some of the events or not really? <laughs> it's like, which one do you want to know? You know, but listen, I think that first of all, it, it was one of a lot of emotional things as well. You know, for example, I would work, I was babysitting. Oh, I played basketball my whole life, by the way, which I attribute to saving my life. And you're like, betting okay, that's a bit dramatic. No, but the reason why I'm saying that guys is because first of all, just happens to be, I'm really freaking good. Okay. Whatever. But not only that, it was like, 
one, I had an outlet that I enjoyed, that was athletic, that was being outside, that I was good at. And I was a part of a team. I, I was a part of a group. We went on trips. We played basketball. You know, we flew out of town to play competitively. And I mean, I don't know which comes first. Yeah, I was good. So therefore I was able to play, but like, whatever the point is, is I'm such a strong advocate for being part of sports teams, no matter if you're good or not, just to learn so much about others and connecting to people. So I just had to throw that out there because my life wasn't like, Oh my God, doomsday. Like, yeah, maybe if I tell you and you hear it, you're like, Oh my God, that's crazy. But there were lovely things too. And the community was amazing and amazing people stepped up to the plate and tried to do what they can. So I just have to like side note that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, listen, okay. Like I was saving money and I was very into NCSY. Everyone has like natural qualities to them. Right. And we we're Jewish. We could say Hashem, God, the universe, whatever gives each and every one of us this unique abilities. For me, I really think that part of that was just given to me. You know, I was social. I loved being with people. I always wanted to hang out. It was with people. People wanted to hang out with me. So I had a lot of traits that kind of allowed me to get through things. And one of those things was NCSY, which is an organization that really takes children under their wings and teaches them more about Jewish life, but gets them together from out of town. So they can meet other new, amazing Jewish children. So we would always go to trips. And some things that would happen often would be they would come really like, I don't know, two in the morning to pick us up for the road trip. And we're like, yeah, we're packing. We're getting all excited. We're going to drive to Atlanta, for example, or to Florida. And my birth mom would just decide. I don't know why. She would just decide. She would stand by the door and she would tell me, you can't go. You're not allowed to go. You're not going. And I, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I've saved up money. I, I packed my bags. My friends are here. They're right in front of you. They're watching us. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's it. You can't go. You're not going. So I couldn't go. And I had to stay home. And here it is. All my friends in the car waiting in the, you know, whatever, by the house to take me and join me. And I'm not going. So things like that are things that happen, like, constantly. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of other really extreme things that happened where it was just, you know, physical abuse. And we like, let's say there's a hundred days of school. We missed like 90, we were late, you know, it was just like that type of thing. Um, and, you know, one time we were taken away from her care and it was like really bizarre because the police came to do this and they were there to like escort us out and you didn't have any idea what was going on. And so, um, that's pretty extreme thing. I mean, did you feel like you were being rescued or did you feel like you were being dragged away from the only person you knew? It wasn't like 24 seven, every second, every day. I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God. It was like normal, whatever, like watching Saturday Night Live normal. And then, you know, crazy thing blew up and throwing things all over the house and, you know, an outburst and I have to pick it up. I don't know. Right. But like, so when this particular thing happened, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, yes, oh my gosh, finally. It was like, I had no idea what was going on. They just came and they're like, we're here to take you and you're coming with us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, I didn't know where I was going, what was happening. So it's a combination that they weren't very, you know, clear or kind or patient with the situation. So I was petrified. No, I was petrified. 
I, I was petrified. I wasn't happy or scared or anything. I was just, I was petrified. Like I didn't, I mean, taking by cops when not, not understanding what's going on um, and not knowing what's happening. You know, and that story is a whole nother story. And I don't know if you want me to get into it, but that's, that's a, that's an intense story in itself because we ended up basically being in, in like the jail, which was like the wrong department after like, you know, a day of not realizing. Um, and then that was when we were like put into the group home and, um, they didn't know where we were because the cops just came, took us and like brought us there and no one could like locate us whatever it's just a lot of like random crazy intense like things like that so it's not like I sit here today and or throughout my adult life let's say and say oh my gosh there were these four things that were so intense and I'm not over it (laughs) so no but it's a combination of similar type of behaviors that cause me as as now an adult and a mom and a wife to react and feel and be triggered by certain things, which are similar emotions, right? So like you said, safety, right? Being worried for the future, what's going to happen? It says someone upset with me, right? So this is with everybody, you know, it just happens to be that my story is a little bit more intense or more unique or whatnot, but we all have something. And I think that ultimately the goal is, like I mentioned before, first and foremost, to understand who we are naturally, and understand who and what happened to us and how it affected. Because by the way, my two younger siblings could share their story in a totally different way. You know, they may be a present, but maybe they were not there that weekend. I don't know, right? Maybe they were younger. They had a different age. They had a different relationship with our mother. So that in itself is unique because we are all affected differently. So moving forward is really the goal is like, okay, I know this happened. I know how I feel. I know who I am. Now, how can I better level up and like I have my branding glow up to use that to serve me, to serve my family, and then to serve the community or my business or whatever else comes from that, right? So that's that's the journey. That's really the journey towards finding your true purpose, true towards finding your true self. And that's really like the beauty. And And that's so inspiring. Do you are you still close with your siblings? So yeah, we're all close. You know, it's not like an everyday thing, but yes, yes, yes. Does your husband have a super interesting story as well? <laughs> Thank God he's went to like a good boy, went to all the yeshivas and, you know, I met him and I was like, oh my gosh, like a guy who knows so much Torah, like amazing. Let's go. Okay. So I want to move gears a little bit. What's it like being an influencer? What was it like to become one? Was it purposeful or did it happen by accident? How how does that affect your life? Okay, guys, are you ready for the tea? Let's go. Listen, nothing is by accident, girl, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. No, it was an accident. I don't know. Listen, when I first started, I don't, girl, I have like some stuff going on. Like I have degrees. Like I'm like, what's up? Like, I don't, you know, I'm not just like, okay, I got a cute, cute smile. Let's post a selfie. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that's bad, but my first like natural love is psychology. So I went to school, I went to Turo College for psychology. And then I began to decide what do I want to do? What do I want to do? So I went for education and I double majored and I did psychology education. And then I said, okay, you know, let me add more courses. I did special education. Then I did birth to grade six. And then I said, let me do art therapy. Like I didn't really know. I just knew that I love 
people and children I'm good with and um, like the brain and the mind, how people work is fascinating. So fast forwarding, doing all these things, I decided to go into the education field and I started working right away with special education. So I was teaching at a, at a school. I was doing the public schools in New York. I was doing all the things. And then I specifically got into applied behavioral analyst, ABA. So I was doing that full time forever. Like, I don't even know, like 12 years. What's that? So that's specifically using a way of changing one's behavior. You can use this method on anybody for any type of thing to change their behavior. But they have specifically found that it is highly, highly beneficial with children on the autistic spectrum. So I worked with children on the autistic spectrum doing one-on-one therapy sessions, utilizing this method. Uh, It's a way of teaching. And it was very powerful and it was very incredibly exciting and rewarding because, you know, I was able to change, like actually change lives to see a child who cannot communicate, cannot talk, cannot express themselves, um, be able to. So although I love that, it's very scientific and very organized. There's this whole other side to me, which is perhaps the side that you know. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is becoming really stressful for me because I like being organized, but I also like being flexible. (laughs) So fast forwarding, that's when I started my first business, which was Such a Betty. And Such a Betty was primarily, first and foremost, a styling business. And I was doing editorial styling for photo shoots and curating all the shoots and magazines and New York Fashion Week and city and showrooms and all the glitz and glam and schlepping. And um, that was how I started. And pretty much like soon after Instagram started. And it was kind of like same time. It was kind of like the right timing because at the time I was pretty much one of the few girls in our community within the Jewish circles and the Jewish, you know, modest dressing and in the fashion scene, I was able to work as a stylist for many of the fashion businesses in the Jewish world. And they wanted to see like, what's Betty wearing? Like, who is Betty behind the scenes? What's the stylist? So I started just posting like every other girl on Instagram. We first didn't know what the heck we were doing, you know, like my outfit behind the scenes, me working, styling, whatever. And that's pretty much how it just transitioned and transitioned into suchabetty.com, which was, you know, my website and my blog and everything. So what's it like being an influencer? So honestly, I'm always laughing. People ask me that because I'm like, I actually don't share anything. I'm doing it now in the podcast because it's one-on-one. There's a goal. There's an intent, right? But I don't know. I feel like I don't really get up in my stories ever. And I'm like, so today I'm in the bathroom and, you know, my husband is this and that and he's size this and this and here's this in the morning waking up like I don't know so I went on to your stories today and oh, what I saw sure I today. <laughs> you were talking about lipo for the chin and the neck what's it called a non-surgical facelift so it's not lipo guys don't worry don't freak out I did not go into the knife it's basically laser treatment skin skincare treatment and I'm obsessed with beauty and skincare so did you like it loved it <laughs> <laughs> so Listen, I don't go like crazy, crazy deep. And that's honestly because my husband doesn't particularly love it. And it is what it is. So you mean you share superficial things like this is what you see and this is how I do it versus this is who I am and this is why I am who I am. (laughs) Is that what you would say by deep? So maybe in the middle, 
maybe in the middle, mainly, mainly more superficial. And when I say superficial, like, I don't know, that word sounds like negative, but superficial meaning not deep. That's what I mean. What's already public. Yeah. Or like, I'll go deep, but I know my reason, like I'm going deep because I want you to understand that now I am a coach because I've been there and I understand it. I have skills. I have abilities to be able to coach you. Not just like, Oh my God, I need to tell a trauma story. So that way I get more followers. Like that was never my vibe. It's just not me, which is by the way, why I started my own podcast, because I was like, I, I want to use my voice for a reason. And I could share within my stories as I'm interviewing or talking to people, but like to just go up there and I don't know, which is not my thing. So my point is being an influencer is still nevertheless, doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do, how much you do or not. It's challenging because either way, it's me. I have to share me. I have to talk about me. I have to be there. The more I'm there, the more I realize that I get the right feedback that I need for my business. Um, And if I'm not feeling in the mood, no shame. I'm off. I don't force. But from a business perspective, problem. (laughs) So... Yeah, the struggle is real. And I think that it's really honestly a personality. Some people are just meant to put themselves out there. Like they just have no shame. I don't know the right word. And it works. And that's great and good for you. Um, but if you have any type of like hesitation, it's it's challenging. And it's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to lie. It is a lot of pressure. Especially if you're looking and watching and seeing other people. Like let's say it's an event. There's only so many of us. <laughs> You're not there. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. For sure. We're human. Okay, I feel like this is a whole podcast of in itself. Um, I just want to get at so many people reach out to me and a lot of the clients I work with. We try to figure out how do people go from zero or a hundred followers to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of followers. The answer usually is a ton of visibility, a ton of consistency, a ton of going out of your comfort zone and creating good content. Good content usually means something that only you can create because of who you are. And these three combined together, you can build a brand. And again, monetizing your brand doesn't have to do with the amount of followers you have per se. It's about finding the right people who are your clients and getting them something that is of value to them. I agree. 2021, that question, even though those factors might be very much true, it's so, it's so hard. It's, it's, there's just no, like, unless you're doing those things and more 24 seven on target, on target, on target for years, years, patient, patient, you're not going to see that jump. Like it's just, unless you're connected or unless you're really at the things and um, collaborating with people, right meeting people, networking. It's a lot of networking. That's what it is too. It's a lot of just putting yourself out there. Like you said, uh, meeting people, connecting, because you can do all the fabulous things. And I've seen fabulous, gorgeous pages, social media, and they had the great highlights and they had the stories. And I'm, cause you know, of course I'm like you, I do marketing. Right. Um, but it doesn't equate. It doesn't, doesn't always work that way. So it's a lot of luck maybe too. Let me think to that. Like there is something to be said to just like right timing, right place, right person. I don't know. You know, when hard work meets opportunity. Yes. <laughs> What's your tool for when you're scrolling and you feel like other people are more successful or other people look better? 
by look better, I mean their marketing's better or their messaging's better, their courses are better. Who am I? What do you tell yourself? That's what social media does to people. Podcasts do the opposite. Guys, you want to hear the real talk? This is the real talk, okay? Hi, my name is Betty, and I am a social media addict where I fall to the dangers of being compared and feeling less than. Yes, I too struggle with that. I know the confident queen, but like the thing is, first and foremost, the answer to your question, when I'm doing that, I have to stop, take a break breathe and ask myself like literally literally I ask myself what are you doing what's your purpose is it true okay are you scrolling because you're bored are you scrolling because you're trying to do research are you scrolling because you're feeling insecure are you scrolling because you're feeling great you want validation like right I try to discover what am I doing what's my purpose okay let's just say just go down that road it's negativity and I'm like oh Oh my God, I suck. I suck. I suck. Why didn't I post? Oh, I should have done that first. Oh, it's better. Oh, whatever. Then I say to myself, is that true? Like Betty, come on. Is that actually true? Maybe they have a freaking awesome picture. Okay. Yes. Yay to Sarah. She has a great picture. Okay. I'm going to shift my mindset. I'm literally going to force myself to shift my mind. And I'm going to say, I'm going to be happy for her. I'm also going to be happy for me. Betty, you're a rock star. You nailed it too. You're cool. You got this picture. Yours awesome. Hers is also awesome. We could both be awesome. Now, next step, I will say, how can I learn from that? So maybe she did a better lighting, right? So I'm going to say, okay, you know, I need to figure out my lighting. Let me go do some research and Google my lighting. And then I get off. I get off. I get off. Guys, by the way, everyone's like, oh, did you see blah, blah, blah? Did you see this? Did you? I'm like, no, no clue. Not idea because it's my job. I do my job. I'm working. I'm whatever. I also do branding for other people's businesses. I don't have time. And my eyes are blurry. Like I literally can't see. So I do my thing and I get off. Um, and yeah, I'm just like hyper-focused like that. And it's not always true. I have moments where I just cannot shift my mind and I get in a funk and I feeling like gross and I'm just not feeling my best self, or like I'm accomplishing the goals that that comes along with perfectionist. And that comes along with high expectations for myself, which can all be lovely. But when we get into that spiral, how do we stop it? And how do we not allow it to take over? Like I have to realize that is not fully me, right? And let go of that and say, okay, I have my purpose. I have faith in Hashem. And I believe that he's going to steer me in the right direction. And I hope that these feelings are just a fleeting thought and I can utilize the positive to focus on my goal, my personal goal. That's it. I love that so much. And the question I like to remind myself is, if I did have 10 more thousand followers, would that all go away? No, you would still have that thought. So it's about removing these thoughts wherever you are. And it's so sad that we measure ourselves by how many followers Don't even get one has. I'm happy you brought this out toward the end of the podcast because everyone is struggling with this because social media is designed to make people feel incompetent. I don't like to use the word jealous, but it, it breeds these thoughts versus other forms of media 
that are more educational and informative and less in your face, like photos and videos and stories? Yeah, girl, it's a visual app. So by default, you have to be showcasing something to look at. And if it's a fashion related or even if it's a home related, you're showcasing and you're trying to advertise to get more business. So by default, you're going to want to show your best and have it look nice. And obviously, even if you do have, we want more. And it's like, oh gosh, I really need that dress. But do you need it? No. <laughs> How do you balance modesty with what you do? Just in general. I mean, I, I'm just, I am a modest dresser. So like, I, I don't know, like, but here's the thing that's kind of funny about me. I feel like someone said this to me and it kind of took me back. I was wearing short sleeves. And I wear short sleeves. I mean, I don't, I don't go out of my way and have my whole closet filled with short sleeves, but I, I, I'm very like, my personality is very just like, I'm keeping the rule, but I'm chill. Like, it's all good. Like, I don't go crazy about things. Like, I'm just not that person. I can't be, I need to like, just relax. <laughs> it's, it's close enough. Okay, we're cool. We're good. Let's take it. We're good. Good to go. It is what it is. Good or bad. I don't know. So I was wearing a short sleeve and she said to me, oh, so like, I guess you are just like, are you like modern? I mean, because I see like you wearing a wig, but like you have a short sleeves. I mean, doesn't that mean like you're like modernized? And I was like, wow, I never thought about that. Like, because for me, I know my intent and my intent, in my view, I'm not saying you, you know, whatever, but I'm not a rabbi, but my view is like, you should be happy. You should be comfortable. You should be living and doing the best you can with what you believe in. And for me, it's like, I'm dressing modest and modesty is part of me. And if it's a short sleeve, it's all good. It's, I'm not wearing like a, you know, bathing suit to an event. That's not modest. It's completely inappropriate. But if you want to wear a bathing suit to the beach, you should. That's appropriate to beach. Again, I'm not saying this is right according to the law, but I'm just saying that's me. So I balance it because I just like, it's become a habit. That's my dress code. That's how I view it. I really respect the modesty. I love it. I think it's so special. It stands you out. And honestly, when you're doing it, like within yourself, you're still being you. I get comments all day. Like, Oh my, I didn't even realize like you're wearing all skirts and dresses. I didn't realize because you're always like so unique and fun about it that I just didn't even think about. I never saw you in pants and I'm like, I know. Right. (laughs) So yeah, but don't get me wrong. I love fashion and it's hard. I'm like, oh God, it's so cute. Okay. Well, where can people find you? Yeah, guys. So I'm of course, first and foremost on Instagram. My handle is Betty Goldko, G-U-L-K-O. We'll post it in the show notes. And everywhere else you can find me is the same name. So you And know. your podcast is called. My podcast is Chat with Betty. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Holla at me. Amazing. Thank you, Betty, so much. Thank you, girl. That was amazing. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. If you enjoyed this, Fran Stans, please make sure to subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting app you're listening to. Make sure to share this with a friend so we can continue growing this show. And follow me on Instagram for day-to-day behind the scenes, what goes into producing a podcast, how I help other people with their podcasts, and how I help them monetize their podcasts. I actually just went onto the podcast app to look at my backlog because I keep telling you to go listen back to all the other and older episodes. And I realized the first 60 episodes were missing. So I contacted my hosting platform and they just told me they're re-uploading or 
showing up the archive so you can go back and listen to the Francisca Show podcast from the beginning. There are so many episodes. We talked about Jewish women in the arts and entertainment. I interviewed so many women in the space and some men. So I hope you go back and you enjoy. Also, I remember we are still working on the hair covering episode as well as some other very exciting episodes just for you. So keep tuning in and see you next week.